most of the time as human beings, we learn the most when we make the most mistakes. This is the Think Big Property Podcast, where Nyang earns means from property development and Tyrone, that's me, has means of questions. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the topic of no money down, which ultimately means using someone else's money for a deal. We discuss some of the advantages of having a money partner, here's some amazing examples that help us understand how this strategy works in practice and much, much more. Finding a great property below market value or from a motivated seller is only one aspect of the whole process. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the strategies to purchase properties with little or no money down. This is one of those topics that I could talk days and days about and not just about my life experiences with property and no money down or it could you know, be talking about the challenges as well. So there's just so many facets of this and so much to learn. So. Um, just to rewind a bit is that when I bought my first property, it was let's say sub $100,000. This was back in early 2000s where you could get something under 100 grand. Bought my first property and I ran out of money. It was property is very easy to run out of money. And um, so I had, you know, a four grand deposit, bought a property, 55 grand, borrowed as much as I could, maxed out my credit card and I ran out of money. So my second deal onwards, I had to figure out how to do deals without using any of my own money because I had no money. So, and, and you know, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Uh, my parents, you know, we lived in a housing commission area. Uh, they were refugees from Vietnam, 1975. So my point is that this became a necessity because I wanted to grow. And, and oftentimes you hit obstacles which force you to grow. You have choices where if something doesn't work out or something doesn't go the way you planned, you can either stop or you can come up with a solution. And in the meantime, I was studying I was going to courses, probably like you are, going to seminars, education, educating yourself. And I learned from a guy who was talking about no money down and he made it sound so simple. And the, the fundamental principle of it was get a money partner to fund everything, right? So, and, and I've done a lot, a lot of deals. Um, and one of my key uh, mentors and uh, you could say coaches and money partners did exactly that. After a few years of me doing some smaller deals, no money down, um, Lee, uh, a doctor friend of my family friend, um, yeah, was open to funding a, a lot of my projects. So, you know, a, a little bit later we'll talk about you know how he's done it. But yeah, essentially, um, we found a whole stack of properties, and he wanted to get into property heavily. And um, I think that there's so much scope to, to talk about. No money down. Maybe just to give people a bit of a background in terms of say a type of way to structure this because I think the, the challenge that people think is, okay, that's great. You know, you've been able to do it. You've been able to find a money partner to fund everything but it's not as simple as it sounds because that would be the ultimate dream. It's like, you know, you almost have unlimited amount of fun if you find the right type of people and I know myself, I, you know, because uh, I work with so many investors, I'm very fortunate to be able to tap into that resource but it's something that takes a skill and also takes knowledge and also understanding and how to build those relationships up because you're not just going to get someone who's going to hand you a few hundred thousand dollars just like that. It's going to take a few months, you know, even a, maybe up to 12 months to, to actually get that. So, what would be really good is maybe starting from the from the beginning, what are some of the tips that you could recommend for people to firstly start to go and consider getting money partners for any deal that they're working on? 
I think getting money partners, if you are going to do it, you need to get look at the real core reason why you're doing it. Is it because you've got no money? Is it because you've lost money in the past? Is it because uh, you've got some resources and you're short another resource? Because uh, some of you might be PAYG, where you work for someone else, you might be getting a good income and you can maybe borrow money from the bank, but you're short of cash. That could be it. Or is it because you've done property in the past, you've made money, you've lost money, and you're a bit concerned about the risk and you might be going, okay, well, I want to do more property, but I want to spread the risk. So I think before we even look at um, those strategies, which we'll talk about soon, is yeah, looking at the core reason of why you want to do it, right? Why you want to do it. And that'll match um, why you want to be able to um, do no money down deal. So I think that one tip, if you are going to do JVs or joint ventures and get money partners to fund stuff, is look, the deal just has to be a smoking hot deal. Um, it's People miss that. They, they miss that joint ventures or no money down deals. It's just a vehicle. It's just a finance vehicle of being able to do a deal and transact on the deal from a financial point of view. Now, from a um, development or a project point of view, there's usually four elements to it. We talk about acquisition, which is buying the property, making sure it's a feasible deal, doing the feasibility, making sure the deal stacks, making sure you can sell it to so acquisition. Then there's finance, which is what we're talking about here, money partners. There's production, which is making it, which is what Tyrone's going through his land subdivision and renovation now, making it, creating it, getting the approvals, developing it, and then the fourth part, which is sales or exit, right? Exit could be selling it, could be renting it, could be refinancing it. So acquisitions, finance, production, sales. So from a no money down or joint venture partner point of view, the money partner thing is actually only one quarter of the project in terms of the importance. So you know, being 25%, it may not be exactly that scientific, but it is one significant of, of four pillars that are so critical. But my point coming back to it is look, a tip on how to get money partners is you really, really need to get good at finding good deals. And um, maybe we can come back to at a later date on how to find great deals. But if the deal is too thin, the money partners won't come. If the deal has enough profit in it, two people, three people, four people, and you're going to spread it around a bit, then it has to be uh, worthwhile for people. That's the other thing to mention as well. There's got to be enough fat in the deal. When I say fat, it's got to be enough profit where everyone is able to make money out of it. Otherwise, there won't be anyone interested in actually going to part with their money to invest in the deal. So, you know, it's got to be better than, than the deals that they would probably get maybe just a mutual fund that they're sitting in the bank or anything like that. It's got to be much better than that and to entice them to be able to go, okay, I want to actually part with my money and know that they're going to get a return back. And the challenge is if we're going to be looking at people who are just starting to actually look for the money partners and also starting on the first deal, you don't have a proven track record or anything. And that's where the, the biggest questions always go and, and come out and, and I guess they ask these things and want to make sure that you're going to be able to deliver something back on time or you're going to return their money back because that's going to be a big, big component of it. So, I, I totally agree with you and Young talking about you know the components of it. The money partner is only a, a small proportion or maybe a quarter of the proportion as you said but it is so, so important that you understand the whole process to actually do this also relies very heavily on the finding the best deal possible. Having said that, is once you do know how to do it, and obviously I teach that in my course and my entering programs on how to get money partners, the process, the business plan, you know, the process of talking to investors and raising capital, right? Once you've figured out how to do it, it's just like riding a bike. It's just like swimming. It's just like playing tennis or golf. 
it is a skill that you can keep for life and a skill that you can keep reinventing over time. You know, I've raised many, many millions of dollars. Uh, even you know, in the last 24 hours, I had one of my current investors introduce me to another investor who potentially wants to invest with me, right? So after a while, what happens is you get good at it, people start referring your other investors and you'll have a new problem, which is having too many investors. So I'm guessing you probably have that issue as well. There, Tyrone, you've got a really good network and a good brand um, and having too many investors. But if you haven't, I'm sure you'll have that sometime soon, hey? The challenge is, is that yes, I have quite a number of investors ready to go and you know that's the great thing about it but it's just finding those great deals to actually meet what they're looking for and their expectations as well and that's I think the biggest challenge we all face is that putting a deal together takes time because you know you might have the investors three or four months beforehand until the deal actually comes up. Then again, you might find a deal and then you won't have the investors here and there yet, you know. So it's just timing and, and skill to actually figure out what's going to be the best way to manage all these expectations and finding the deal. Let's just talk a little bit about that. I know we're a bit diverting at the moment, but money partners, even just managing expectations, I'll give you a couple of scenarios. Let's say someone's got a million dollars, right? Someone could say to, potentially to you, I've got a million dollars and you find a deal, I'll fund it and I'll give you. 50%, we'll go halves. So I put the money in, you do the work, 50%. Okay, that's one scenario. Another scenario could be, I've got a million dollars, I want a fixed return, I want 1% a month, every month in my bank account and I'll lend it to you. That's another scenario. Another scenario could be, you know, we do a joint venture instead of 50-50, I want no profit share to you, you just, uh, I'll just pay you a, a finder's fee, right? So, Yep, as a 3% upfront or 2% upfront, depending how good the deal is or how much work's been done. So those are three scenarios and you might say, well, yeah, I've got investors, I've got hunters. But out of those three scenarios, one, two or none of those scenarios might suit you. Their personality may not suit, their security may not suit. This. I can tell you just from a, a real scenario and also just from experience working with the, the first deal that we came together, you know, between developer and the money partner and myself, there's a lot of discussion between how we structured the deal. And initially, we were thinking of doing a profit share, just like one of the scenarios that you're thinking. And we're thinking, okay, if we did that, then there'll be a, a little bit more risk because the challenge is, is that as soon as you bring um, profit share into the deal, then all the three parties would need to uh, would be involved in having a say and so forth. And we wanted to make sure that would be minimal process because we want to just let the developer focus on what they need to do, which is not to be interrupted because they know the process and not necessarily need so much feedback. So, you know, we decided, look, we're going to structure a deal where there's basically silent money partners in it that they will just invest the money and just get a straight flat out return. And then from there, you know, we just continue the development and, and do what we need to do because that's where the experience lies. That's what you're getting from that. So there's a lot of discussions around it. And as you said, three completely different scenarios. And that's some of those actually were the scenarios that we discussed. And um, at the end of the day, you just got to manage expectations between everyone to see which one's all happy. And you want to make it a win, win, win scenario for everyone. If one person's not happy in that discussion and that party doesn't want to agree to do that, then find another way, you know, look at different options. And that's where I guess you just got to learn to pivot and find other ways to make everyone happy because it's all about problem solving, to be honest, at the end of the day. That's the thing, especially when you're getting into JVs, you have some expectations on how things should work. Uh, when I started out with Lee, that doctor, and he would put up cash, he'd put up serviceability. So he'd buy the property essentially and I'd get a 50% profit share. In that scenario, um, it was not a fixed return, it was a profit share. So when he decided to sell, or when we both agreed to sell, then I'd get that profit share. 
So my point is that when you start out, you might start off with a certain model. I do suggest that if people are looking at it, a profit share model is a good way to, to look at it because it's scalable. That, that's the other uh, positive side of getting a money partner to be able to fund your projects with a profit share uh, or fund everything. It might not be a profit share, it might be a flat return, but either way, if they're putting up all the money, if they're putting up all the money, then it's scalable. I, what that means is you can double it, you can do four of them, you can do eight of them, you can do a thousand of them, right? So, uh, whereas the next strategy that we're talking about, so the first one we're talking about is get a money partner to fund everything. And there's a lot of variables in that. Scenario number two is, I think you've got here, Tyrone, is borrow the deposit. So essentially, you're, you, you, you have a job, the bank will lend you money, 80%, 90% LVR, let's say, or of the purchase price to kind of put in layman's terms. And then you may be short the deposit plus the development costs, whether it's a renovation, stamp duty, holding costs, et cetera, et cetera. So strategy number two is borrow the deposit. So uh, had you considered doing that, uh, borrowing the deposit in your particular strategy there with your first JV there, Tyrone, or you just wanted to do the, the first strategy? We wanted to do the first strategy. We did consider what to do that and go to a bank and all that. But um, I think the reason why we didn't was because the paperwork that was involved in the bank back and forth would have delayed the whole process to purchasing it. So one of the strategies was that we'll to purchase the property outright, which made it unencumbered, then go back to the bank and see if we could borrow against it and then withdraw, say, you know, 80% back from the property if they lend that or even 60% depending on what which bank you go to and then use those funds as another deposit to start the next project. Um, that was sort of uh, what we were thinking of uh, potentially doing and having those open discussions with a money partner but um, we didn't go ahead with that because we just wanted to focus and get this first deal done. So maybe moving forward, we'd probably do something like that. What are your thoughts on that? There's advantages and disadvantages of both scenarios. So like from a profit share point of view, let's say someone funds everything of profit share, the good thing about that, if the project takes longer and there is very little or no profit, then there is no loss to you as a JV partner. However, if when you're borrowing the deposit or you're borrowing funds, you have a flat return, which is what you're talking about. It's an interest rate. And so the longer the time goes, the higher the interest rate goes up. It's just like the bank. The bank loves it that your projects take longer because they make more money, right? So so long story short is it depends on, on what works for you. Like I'll be honest with you, with my initial strategies and for many years, I, I do a profit share arrangement um, for people whereby it might be 50-50 and then I started to get annoyed that my skills were increasing, the deals were getting better and better and my uh, the amount I was earning or receiving from those deals wasn't getting so much increase in terms of percentage anyway. So but I find that borrowed the deposit, now that I've got serviceability, I'm able to negotiate that. So borrowing the deposit, um, <clears throat> let's say I borrow the money from the bank for let's say it's a million dollar purchase, I borrow 800000 and I'll borrow the deposit and then some. So let's say hypothetically, I borrow a total of 400 grand from investors plus 800 grand from the bank, call it 1.2, which is 200 grand in excess of the purchase price of a million. Um, then, and I might pay a flat interest rate of 1% a month, hypothetically, right? So which is close to pretty much the market rate that I'm happy with and investors like it as well. Um, it allows me, if I believe in myself enough and there's enough profit in the deal, then there's enough profit uh, overall. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into the advantages of having a money partner rather than working by yourself. They're able to get a money partner to fund everything. It might be a 50-50 split. 
as well as have the potential to borrow the deposit and use their own serviceability. We hear of an example about even if you have the money to fund investments yourself, why you should still be looking to use other people's money. James Packer is a billionaire. Why does he have a public company? Right? Why does he use other people's money? And, and the one word comes down to firstly is leverage and the other one is risk. When having some backup money can really come in handy. You want to have cash resources available for a couple of things. One, for me, it's actually the first and foremost is other opportunities. So that's next and you're listening to the Think Big Property Podcast. After a while, just like coming back to the land subdivision slash townhouse slash unit niche, it's the same thing with money partners is that you'll find a niche that you like. A lot of my clients who do our programs, I suggest that they're able to do both, that they're able to get a money partner to fund everything. It might be a 50-50 split as well as have the potential to borrow the deposit and use their own serviceability because it just allows them because they might do a deal where it's they buy it themselves in their own entity or the deposit, they might get a bigger cut of that but then they might run out of serviceability and they might not be able to do a second deal straight away because their finances from a bank point of view are tied up. So if they've got the skills to do a 50-50 split where they're not putting up any cash but they might be just putting the time and expertise in, they can still get 50% of something. You know, 50% of something is better than 100 than or nothing and it builds a relationship with the investor just like um, learning uh, learning how to ride a bike, you learn the skills on how to deal with, like you said, investors' expectations, dealing with counsel, dealing with problems, and, and then you get to a point where you know how things uh, like to be done. Um, with my current investors that I have, they're on a flat interest rate because I've effectively borrowed the deposit plus the development costs. They, their promise from me is a uh, email every two months, and that's it. That, that's all I promise. Uh, an update every two months on email. Otherwise, feel free to call me, but let's just you know, get on with the project. Let me do my job because my job is to get in, get out, get paid. From their point of view, the project taking longer means they make more money anyway. So in this instance, with the 30 lot subdivision from the previous conversation that's taken two years to get out of the ground, we've got, let's say, another year and we'll be done, hopefully, cross fingers, uh, in terms of profit and sales and, and everything like that, the investors will have uh, the ones that are closest to the beginning will have close to three years worth of interest uh, on their, let's say, 200 grand a pop investor. So, um, at, at, you know, at 12% per annum, that's uh, 36% on their money. Um, on 200K, you know, that's uh, $72,000. So, that, that's a good earn, um, but I've got to make sure that um, my project's profitable enough to be able to sustain that, and I believe it definitely is. So in that circumstance, you'd be paying out and you've agreed in a contract that the interest will be pay, payable at the end of the term. Is that what you've negotiated or do you need to pay them out on an ongoing basis every year? This is negotiable. I generally start off negotiating or proposing paying at the end and it's just whatever we both agree on. Some of them, I pay some of them along the way, just bits and pieces just to keep their uh, redraw facilities lubricated or uh, some of them live on their, let's say, superannuation interest. So they need, let's say, a thousand bucks a month of that interest. So it just depends on what I'm negotiating with that particular investor. So, but generally, my proposition to them is I pay them at the end. It's just better for a cash flow arrangement for me, obviously. 
from your experience of now doing the multiple different strategies, so instead of saying going out and getting a hundred percent, you know, no money down, which was uh, your case study with Lee, who's a doctor, and you did fifty fifty percent profit share between that to comparing to say now borrowing a deposit just only the funds to borrow for the deposit and then going to the bank to actually get lending for the rest of the amount so far which one do you think has been the most effective for you in your circumstance right now i like the borrow the deposit strategy um, for several reasons and my circumstances like you've mentioned there might be different to most people is that let's say the million dollar block of land, right? For the acreage there, subdividing to 20, 30 blocks there. With the neighbor, it's all, all up 30. My section is 23 of the 30 blocks, just to be clear. Is that the million dollar purchase there? Um, let's say I can pay that with cash and then I'll go to the bank, pull out, I think they gave us 720 grand. So the valuation on the $1 million purchase was 900 grand as a residential. Um, we borrowed 720 and then I got investors to chip in the rest. So I pulled out 720 of the bank's money, replenished mine, and then any cash I had in, I raised from investors from a borrowed deposit point of view, and then they paid me out as well. So essentially, I started off with all my cash in, and then I set, and then I got all my cash out via part one, the bank, and then part two, investors. So then I've raised, let's say, another further roughly a million dollars of investors' money and put that in as uh, project costs, DAs, holding costs, et cetera, et cetera. And once the approval came through, the bank comes up, let's say, in this instance, for another $2 million, right? So my point is that because I've got a serviceability and I can borrow and the banks are happy with my serviceability and borrowing, um, I've borrowed the deposit for the rest so that I have a blend interest rate of, you know, let's say the bank's interest rate is 5% and the investor's rate is 12%. So my blended interest rate, call it uh, 17% divided by two, is um, roughly 7 8%. Right, so because it's probably a big, bigger proportion of bank lending than investors' capital once it's all said and done. It's amazing to be able to just hear now how that all actually worked and so forth. And let me just try to understand um, the, the the strategy that you've done here is borrowing the money for the deposit, going back to the bank to borrow also for the land, being able to pull out your cash to be able to replenish back in your own um, accounts. Is that uh, realistically the reason behind those to reduce the risks as well to in the whole project? Because, you know, if you funded it yourself, um, if, which you, you potentially could have, um, what would the profit have been a much larger amount compared to, say, getting investors involved? This is a question I get asked all the time is, now, if you've got money, you've got X amount of cash, why aren't, why are you using other people's money? And the same question, yeah, that's a really valid question. Well, if you think about it, let's say Crown Resorts, James Packer, he's a billionaire, why does he have a public company, right? Why does he use other people's money? And, and the one word comes down to firstly is leverage and the other one is risk. So um, the thing is, as a, a developer, you want to have cash resources available for a couple of things. One, for me, it's actually the first and foremost is other opportunities, right? Other opportunities that if I find a site and the person is motivated to sell and they need to settle quickly and I cannot, provide that cash, I don't have an edge. So if they're asking 1.5 and I can say, mate, I'll offer you a million dollars, we'll settle in seven days, I can write your bank check today, let's do it. Right, so one is that million, I wanna keep that money mobile and working, right? So yes, it might uh, sit in an offset account for part of the year, but I'm looking for opportunities to make it work. That's number one. 
Number two, emergency money. They always say that money's easy to get when you don't want it. Right? If I need money, I'm desperate for a million bucks, no one's going to lend it to you when you're in desperate times. The GFC was a really good example. Yeah, so, um, and so second reason is liquidity. Uh, so I spent a lot of years, let's say two years after the GFC, getting myself liquid, getting cash, getting serviceability, building up my serviceable income so that I could borrow $2 million at a whim, write bank checks for a million bucks cash. And I'm not saying that to brag, I'm just saying it's part of my strategy to be able to overcome the, strategy, the, the stuff ups the mistakes we made in the GFC. You mentioned about serviceability. How did you build that up? Because as you're saying, you're selling all those properties off, you know, after development and so forth and you're building it in the cash. But where, did you, where were you able to get the serviceability to be able to do the rest of the things the banks required? There's a couple of things. One is definitely cleaning up my assets and um, using my development income. Oftentimes, one of the challenges people have is they don't plan on how to get serviceability, right? Without revealing all my secrets, my point is that I use development to be able to get serviceability. So if you're buying property and you're making 100 grand a year, if you're doing it in certain entities, uh, if you stream it into certain entities, you can prove to the bank that you are a developer and a successful developer and able to make 200 grand, 500 grand a year every year as a developer, right? So as a property trader, some people, they might do it as property renovating, right? If you can, uh, and turn it into a business. If you're doing, let's say, you're one into two sub, uh, subdivision and it's a once-off, it's not a business. Whereas if you can demonstrate to people at uh, the bank that you've done transaction after transaction, after, and that's what I mean. That's why getting a money partner to fund everything is a great way because when I quit my job when in my 20s, I couldn't service right until we had the, the low doc days and, and even then it was pretty touch and go um, but yeah once you do the no money down strategies with get a money partner to fund everything if you turn over you know half a million dollars a year profit into your own entity then the banks will go oh okay whether it's through profit share whether it's through consulting whether it's through project management whether it's through project marketing you can demonstrate um, to banks that you have a property development business not just a once off project most of the time as human beings, we learn the most when we make the most mistakes. And the GFC, there was a lot of things I did wrong and a lot of things that got constrained and stopped like serviceability and cash and access to liquidity. So my point is that I learned from those things and I sat down and I wrote, okay, what are my 20, 40 lessons from the GFC? And then I spent, okay, cool. I want to spend the next few years to fix these problems so it never, ever, ever happens again, hopefully. Um, and so I'd rather yeah, put aside X amount of dollars in cash than have you know, all these properties and be exposed if the interest rates double. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, precautionary measures that I do now that I never did before. How did you come up with that strategy? Was it something that you sat down and said, look, you know, this is what I, I've, I've wanted to do or did you actually model off someone else who's done something similar to that? I think essentially, like I said, I saw people go through some really tough times. Like, for example, one guy um, got his line of credit cancelled by, by the Bank of Queensland. It was a $2 million line of credit. It was a developer that was selling me some land at a wholesale price. I was reselling it for a good price, making some good coin. And yeah, he told me he was in a stress mode because the Bank of Queensland had just tied up his $2 million line of credit. So he had no cash anymore. So that was one thing. And there was multiple other examples of people having problems with banks, including myself, 
um, yeah, no liquidity, no serviceability. So I had to, I basically thought, okay, these are the two key problems. So how do I fix those problems long term?